Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's reading comes from the New Testament reading of Hebrews chapter 10, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, when I think about all the years of schooling I've had in my life, I often think about how much of it I learned that is still practical to the life I live now. And maybe you feel the same way too. Math is probably one of those categories. I don't know how often I use algebra or calculus during the day. When was the last time I needed to find the square root of something? Now, that doesn't mean math isn't useful at all, especially depending on the line of work you are in. It would be the same thing if an accountant had to take a preaching course in school. Not very applicable. But for me, on the other hand, preaching is something that is pretty useful on a pretty regular basis. So one of the things I've learned that I have not yet forgotten in the 10 years since I've graduated is to not have a salad sermon. That is, don't put a whole lot of lettuce into the sermon. And I don't mean the green leafy vegetable. I mean, let us. This is especially important at the end of the sermon. A sermon has two main parts, really. The law and the gospel. The law is the, the things we are to do. It's the commands of God. So when you hear the law in a sermon, it's what you are being told to do or not to do or what you should be doing. The law shows us how to, leave a God, how to live a God-pleasing life. But we'll also see that when we hold ourselves to the requirements of the law, we do not do them. We don't obey the commands of God. We don't please him. And so the law also condemns. It shows us our sin. And it shows us the punishment for our sin. That is death. That is hell. The gospel, however, saves us. The gospel is the things that God has done for us. Where the law is active, what we do, the gospel is passive. It's what God does for us on our behalf. We can't keep, follow the commands of God. So God sent Jesus Christ to come and fulfill the law, keep it perfectly, and then die on the cross for our sins. Jesus took our death, took our hell to give us the forgiveness of our sins and to give eternal life to all who believe. And it was accomplished not just through his death, but also through his resurrection. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. The law cannot save and it doesn't make anyone believe. The gospel saves and the gospel brings life. Because the gospel is all about Jesus. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we are called to preach Christ and him crucified. Therefore, the gospel must always be present in a sermon. But in order to hear the gospel, you have to hear the law. Now, there is nothing more important than the message of Jesus' death and resurrection. 
And because of that, the sermon should always end on a gospel note. Because when you end on the law, you're ending with something that you can do. And if the last thing you hear is what you can do, it's easy to think that that is what's most important. That's why you don't end a sermon with a let us statement. Because a let us statement is a law statement. It's a call to do something. And you are only going to be able to do that something through the power of the gospel. And so the gospel takes a let us statement and turns it into a promise statement. That you will do this because of faith, because God is working in you. Now that doesn't mean that there isn't a place for let us statements in a sermon at all. Just not at the end. After all, we heard one of them this morning already. Actually, we heard three of them. The writer of Hebrews says this, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. These are all connected, and they're all appropriate for our time together today. We are called to draw near to God, stay close to him, be with him, be in his presence, hold unswervingly to our hope. We're called to remain in the one true faith, to be faithful. We're called to spur one another toward love and good deeds, to lead by example. We're called to meet together regularly, and we're called to encourage one another because the day of Christ's return is coming. For those of us who believe, we are called to hold onto that faith unswervingly, meaning we never stray, we never get off track. I'm sure you never sin, right? You never decide to take your own path, the path of selfishness, rather than following the one God has outlined for you. Drawing near to God, not giving up meeting together. Well, it also says some are, are already in the habit of doing it. Some have already stopped coming. This one becomes a third commandment issue. What does the third commandment say? Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. There was a time when regular worship attendance used to be considered once a week. I'm sure that some of you still feel this way. However, with the continued influence of the world on our lives and the pressures to not follow God's commands, regular has now become every other week or once a month. That's even what 
research statistics have started using. Why? Because church just isn't a priority anymore. And people aren't holding the word of God sacred and gladly hearing and learning it. This isn't just worship either. But everything else is likely even less important than worship. This is Bible study. This is reading your Bible. This is the fellowship that you have with fellow believers. Sin wants you to get in the habit of not doing these things. Jesus even warned of this in our gospel reading. He said, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming, I am he, and will deceive many. There are many false messages out there, false messengers, false gospels, claiming to bring the word of God, yet trying to deceive you, lead you astray. These deceptions tell you that you don't need to be in church. You don't need worship. You don't need to listen to anything the pastor has to say. You don't need to study God's word. All you have to do is know what you know, believe what you'll believe, and you'll be good. The church is full of hypocrites anyway. You don't need it. It has nothing to offer you. They're just trying to brainwash you, and you're smarter than their tricks. Because the church is trying to deceive you after all. I mean, did God really say? Did God really say, remember the Sabbath day? When you trust in yourself, it's easy to be deceived. Because you're a sinner. You're right. The church is full of hypocrites. So let's be honest with those who think it. We say one thing and we do another. We say we're a Christian, but we don't make Christ a regular priority in life. He is just a person of convenience, an afterthought, because we have more important things on Sunday mornings and any time Bible study is offered and pretty much every other part of the day. Sleep, sports, work, family stuff, apathy, or a general lack of confidence in the church. These and more keep us away. I'm a sinner, and even though I'm a Christian, I don't act like Christ. I get deceived. I think my way, not God's, is the best way. And I don't like to hear that I'm a sinner, but it's the truth. And here in worship, I hear that I'm a sinner. Yet here in worship, I also hear that I'm forgiven because of the great love God has for me, that Jesus would give his life for mine. And if you're not meeting, you're not hearing this message, the message of a God who loved you so much that he died for you to give you eternal life. And if you're not meeting, you're also not receiving. You're not receiving the gifts God has given to his church, the word, which you already know, and the sacraments. These are God's means of grace that he has given to his church, the way that he gives us forgiveness, the way that he gives us eternal life. And here's something I need you to understand. It's not about me. 
It's about what God is doing here, what God is doing for you, what God is doing to you. Worship is about coming into God's presence to receive the gifts that he has given to his people. Yes, there is a part of the service where we, you, have the opportunity to respond to God's gifts, to give thanks for all the incredible gifts God has given to you by giving your own gift in response. You heard about that last week. That's the offering. But we're only able to be thankful to what God has given to us if we know what he has given us, namely his son, Jesus Christ. And so I'm just an instrument, a tool that is used to deliver this message, these wonderful words of mercy, grace, love, and peace. You're hearing this message, but the message is for more than you. It's for those who have gotten into the habit of not meeting together. And so we are called to encourage them. I'm not going to make you come. You're not going to make them come. We encourage. The Holy Spirit is the one who creates faith. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives you the power to lead a God-pleasing life, to not despise preaching and God's word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. But sin likes to get in the way and lead on your behalf which is away from God, away from his word, away from his church, away from his people. That's why Jesus came, to bring you back to himself. He has opened the door to heaven through his death and resurrection. God is faithful. When we're faithless, when we're deceived, we don't hold his word sacred. He remains. He died for every single one of those sins. And he has given us the Holy Spirit to give us faith, to guide us, lead us, to help us avoid sin, temptation, and deception. God wants you here. He wants you to hold his word sacred, to have it mean something in your life, to gladly hear and learn it in the sermon, in Bible study, in devotions, all the time. Because he is with you always and wants to lead your entire life. And he will help you do these things because he is the only one who can. So it's not a let us or even a let him. It's a he does. Because God is faithful and keeps his promises, he will. He will continue to work in your life. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, to call, gather, enlighten you, to remind you of the death and resurrection of Jesus that won your forgiveness and salvation. And he is the only one who can keep you in the faith. He who began this good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we know that day is approaching. Amen.
And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.